This is Media Business Matters, the podcast that explores why recent news in the media business matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz. And I'm Alex Intner. In this episode, we're going to do another one of our deep dives into an industry that we haven't talked about yet. Our own. We're talking about podcasts. And it is hard to say that there actually is a podcast industry, but a recent series in Neiman Lab by Ken Doctor does a great job diving into what we do know of what might be an emerging podcast industry. And so we thought we'd talk through what is emerging and, and what some of the evidence that he found. Especially given the recent explosion of podcast popularity after the release of podcasts like Serial. That just blew up in a way that a podcast really hadn't before. Right, but we're talking about going from nothing to something, and so when you do the numbers on that, that might be like 300% growth, and so we do want to dive down and see just how big of a phenomenon this is. So one of the numbers that was thrown around in the article is that roughly one in five Americans has listened to a podcast, uh, which translates into about 57 million listeners a month. Which, when you think about it, is huge. Yes, but then we have to kind of divide that number, and that's the issue. Because there's some, count this, according to iTunes, 300,000 podcasts in the U.S. on iTunes. Which is just huge. I mean, if you compare that to the number of TV shows or number of radio programs out there, it's just... And the big reason for that is it's so easy to release a podcast. You can record a podcast in North Quad Studios and put it up on iTunes a, a week later, and people will have the opportunity to listen to it. Right. So we'll talk about the cost-benefit or cost-profits of uh, related to podcasts here in a minute. Another important finding, even though there is a lot of attention, according to the article, to the expansion of podcasts as a new place for advertising and advertisements, uh, at this point, no more than 10% ever make money. So in this sense, Alex, we are, we're in the great majority here with our not-for-profit podcast. We are the 90%. We are the 90%. <laughs> right. When you look at the download numbers for these podcasts, it, it looks like only one, the top 20% only get 1,400 downloads a month. Right. In this sense, we're not just in the, the big mass of the 90%. So the median number of downloads that a particular podcast is likely to have is 173, which roughly, if I am reading my um, metrics according to Squarespace right, hey, we're actually in that ballpark. That's good. That's good to hear. So we're still long off from being in the top 20%. Uh, That's, as you noted, a podcast that gets about 1,400 downloads. Or even the top 10% with 3,900. Right, and a big issue that we'll talk about in relation to advertising relative to podcasts is the questionableness of these numbers uh, and the way in which the most certain data that exists is number of downloads, but number of downloads related to actual number of listeners is is a big question that's out there right now and and certainly preventing the industry from running into a whole bunch of more advertising revenue quickly. And we'll dig more into that later, especially when we talk about Apple. But let's start by talking about probably one of the biggest producers of podcasts right now, NPR. They started out as radio, and now they're releasing a lot of their radio shows as podcasts. Right, so it makes perfect sense that this is a, a, an institution that has, is well-experienced and schooled in producing audio storytelling, whether it's more toward the news end of things or the entertainment side of things. And at this point, NPR earns more than $10 million a year in podcast revenue. And that's just from podcasts? 
Yes. Wow. And so, and, and it's been interesting, I've been following a bit from a distance, you know, some of the, the degree to which the internal struggles in NPR have been made public about sort of understanding where podcasts fit relative to the linear streams and right. the core NPR mission of, of being a public broadcaster. Uh, and so I think one of the things that's interesting to think about is how big of a role NPR plays in this emerging field, which is so unusual in the U.S., where public media is a tiny percent of any given sector. Yeah, we're not used to public media being on the forefront of innovation, at least not in TV. I mean, as much as I respect PBS and how they do things, they're not necessarily on the forefront of distribution or anything like that. I mean, look at what they do with Downton Abbey. Well, they're tremendously underfunded, right? Yeah. And so if we look at it, and it's nothing that has to do with the public service mandate, if we look at, at the UK, we, we see the BBC actually being at the forefront of television distribution right. with the BBC iPlayer well before anything like that made it to the US. So it, I think it does come back to the, to the issue of, of money, and, and these are not well-funded institutions. But NPR is certainly um, in control of a lot of the expertise in this burgeoning field. When we look at NPR's ad buy, they have six-figure ad buys in their podcast. That's comparable to a 30-second ad in a TV show. Just to clarify, that's not NPR in specific. That's oh, okay. In, in the podcast market right now, one of the things that's drawing attention is that increasingly there are ad buys that are priced at six figures, um, that that's become increasingly commonplace. However, again, we want to emphasize that that's probably only happening in those top 10% of Or even of top one or two percent because you need to have millions of listeners in order to get those right and, and no one's got millions of listeners yet in this except season. maybe cereal i think cereal has several million and this american light gets several million but th we're talking the upper echelon yeah so cereal overall was coming in at something like 50 million but the estimates were that any single episode was downloaded roughly 3.4 million times so again let's to put this all in perspective like 3.4 million that's a really good cable. That's basically twice a cable number. Especially now in peak TV days mm -hmm. where a cable show will be like lucky to get two million or even in the cases of a show like Mr. Robot or Unreal, lucky to get one million. And so even though we can look at, and as we shift away from NPR and focusing more on emerging podcast industry that's in this to make money, it's still roughly only a third of 1% of digital ad revenue. So even though there's really big percentage growth numbers, I don't think it's clear that this industry is likely to scale considerably. Like this isn't going to overtake probably even radio. The well, industry I, is trying it's probably competing with most. That's a great thing to bring up. I mean, one of the things we've talked about in the past is the way that radio has been surprisingly resilient to yeah. this point. Um, despite the changes in streaming and other forms of music distribution. Is radio invulnerable to anything? Or um, what is it or what could it be that could lead radio to be somewhat challenged? I think if we look at something like a podcast, it's talk radio, which is commercial in some parts and then NPR in the other. And so it, it would make sense that those would be the aspects of radio that could be the most threatened. Well, especially because a lot of the same shows that get released on radio are now putting out podcasts of their own. Like when you look at NPR, something like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is broadcast on the air, mm -hmm. gets a podcast release. Yeah, and I, so in, in some ways, I think it's, you know, what really is a podcast? So in some cases, this podcast market is exciting and interesting because it is even more narrow cast 
and you can be even more niche targeted than you can with a radio show because the economics of making it, you know, as what you're hearing now proves, the economics are so low. Right? It, it, it takes very little to get a microphone and to some host. basic software. You, you can even host your podcast for free if you want to. You, the software we're using to record this is free. The microphone is cheap. So the cost of entry really is nothing. You can record a podcast on why recent news and media matters to people who love media and you can target it toward that audience of whoever is listening to this right now. But our expertise is priceless. Absolutely. All right. So podcasts can be much more niche targeted, but the other thing of basically what a podcast is, is it's kind of like a DVR for radio. At least for those who are already listening to shows. Now, radio, oh, if you're listening to radio for streaming, um, I think you have that whole competing sector of streaming services. Something like iHeartRadio or TuneIn Radio, those apps that exist where you, can, where you can access a lot of the radio stations that are out there right now. Or even just the choice to switch to a streaming music service instead that right. maybe serves you with a more precise playlist. I think in many cases what podcasts, the podcasts I listen to, they are, they exist as shows. Uh, I just might might not catch them when they're on and so to me what a podcast is is it's a more convenient delivery of audio media and I, th I think you've hit on something really important about podcasts right there and especially given the ones I listen to I li only listen to a few podcasts that are specifically produced for podcasts otherwise it's a lot of just radio shows that you know get delivered to my phone instead of me having to seek out you know, Michigan radio station here. So in some ways, I think podcasts are more like video on demand than they are radio, as odd as that may seem in terms of what they're doing to an existing marketplace. But even more so, I think they're also much more like blogs uh, in the way in which you know, five, ten years ago, it became possible for many, many people to all of a sudden publish themselves. And I think we're sort of in a similar moment with, with podcasts. And Especially sort of, given how many of them are out there and how easy it is to get one on the air. And here we are, you know, 10 years removed from that moment. I think it's also important to sort of take stock at how many of those blogs have become proven commercially successful media entities. Although usually it's those bloggers become successful entities by going somewhere else other than their blog. And so I think that's the other angle to be looking at what's going on in the podcast space and try to think about how these are but the early days and, and how it may evolve from here. Perhaps in some ways it's also comparable to early parts of YouTube and similarly the way in which amateur t some amateur talent has emerged and become you know, social influencers and some have taken on these other roles in media, getting sponsorship deals for their content. And I think it's the idea that this talent can, can sort of bubble up somewhat organically in a way that in a pre-digital era, it was very difficult for talent to emerge from outside of, of these big institutions. Well, they're also just in a pre-digital era, there wasn't a way to get noticed besides these digital institutions. And it's a lot easier to self-produce your own content now than it used to be. I mean, we're, we're even talking when we're talking the early days of YouTube or even the very early days of podcasts, you know, a lot of that was just people putting out podcasts of just for themselves. Like I'm thinking about Mugglecast right here, which is a Harry Potter fan site putting out a podcast about mm -hmm. something they love, Harry Potter. You know, that premiered, and I think it was 2005 or 2006 was the first episode of Mugglecast. I think it was right around the release of Half-Blood Prince. You know, it, they're targeting 
they think they're targeting a niche audience by targeting Harry Potter fans. I'd argue that Harry Potter fans are not a niche audience, especially given how Cursed Child is doing in London right now. But they're just putting, they're just doing, a lot of that was just starting for fun. Right, and I think, you know, going back to the parallel perhaps to to our show here and thinking about what makes this all possible. Production costs, very, very low. It makes it possible for this to be a hobby. And again, yeah. this is something that has a long history in media. I mean, our pr- primary production cost is our time. It's not even real money being invested. It's our time. That is true. That's not to say that, you know, anyone interested in subscription, crowdfunding, or sponsorship... <laughs> Give us a call. <laughs> All right, so Alex, let's talk a little bit more about what industry podcasts may threaten, if any. Well, when I thought about this, I thought the primary threat, and this is mainly speaking anecdotally, was to drive time radio, mm-hmm. or even drive time, just drive time entertainment in general, especially given how easy it is now to say, hook up your phone to your car speaker system. Either it comes with the car, or you can get a device that's like $20 or less mm-hmm. that lets you broadcast in your car. And speaking for me, I prefer to listen to podcasts over radio in the car just because I have control over what I'm listening to. I think one of the things that has helped radio's resilience is the way in which radio is a medium you can engage with while doing something else. Likewise with listening to music. And so in some ways, I wonder whether or not that actually is the case for podcasts as well. I often find myself listening to a podcast while I'm, I'm making dinner, feeling as though I do not have enough attention to do both things in a way that's kind of different than if I'm just casually listening to what's on the radio. And so I think there may be an attention challenge issue that leads people to prioritize their podcast listening truly into those spaces where you're riding on the train and you don't actually have to be doing anything else and you can listen uh, and focus on that content. And another area where I listen to podcasts is when I'm essentially my commute around campus. You know, I am not necessarily going to be doing anything else besides just putting my headphones in and listening to my podcast when I'm on the bus to and from home. And I think because of the specific targeting that a lot of podcasts allow. It really is a very narrow, that narrow niche availability that isn't served perhaps by many written publications, maybe certainly not any video. And so in some ways I could imagine there being interests that people have that are so specific that they do give up television time or other media use time because of how specifically a podcast addresses those interests. I mean, I look at fan podcasts. I look at um, something like Game of Owns or even MuggleCast that they, they're they targeting a fandom. They are talking about a subject and they're targeting a fandom. And I would even think TV has kind of tried to push into this a little bit with the after shows mm-hmm. for something like The Walking Dead or Mr. Robot or Game of Thrones now. But those ideas kind of started with that niche targeting of podcasts. Right, monetizing not just the fan base that's willing to watch a show, but the fan base that's so engaged that they also want to engage in extra content. Right. So this money that's going to come from podcasts, um, we, of course, see a number of different economic models uh, playing out. Lots of talk about advertising. I think somewhat, it's not new, let's be very clear about this, but <laughs> the, the way in which advertising is included in podcasts isn't new. It, it harkens so clearly back to uh, early radio, that, that must be said, but it's not common now. And so I, I find, well, this is what I will say about uh, advertising and podcasts. Often it's pretty brief, 
and it's contained if there's a, a quick sponsorship message at the beginning. And so it's not so long as to be annoying enough for me to want to try to figure out how to fast forward. And so you <laughs> keep your audience and your audience hears it. Uh, in many cases, the podcast so far are, are really making use of uh, host-delivered messages. Right. And and that, that too, is, is an old technique, but it's not something that we uh, see or hear a lot of today. And so that idea that people are invested enough in a topic and a host to be listening to this podcast, and that gives that subtle endorsement, um, perhaps even more I don't power. Know. I don't know if it's a subtle okay. endorsement, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing about advertising and podcasts are, uh, like you said, it's kept very brief. You know, the NPR shows will open with what, usually less than a minute of ads and intersprinkled through the episodes, like where Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me would usually take a commercial break. They throw in like another 30 seconds to a minute of ads. Mm-hmm. And so, often it's just for another NPR podcast. So oh, it's yeah. not even for Or a even NPR good. One. They've been mm-hmm. doing a lot of NPR right. One promotion lately. And so I think the kind of message that you hear, many of the ads I feel like I'm hearing are explanations of new companies. So whether MailChimp, uh, historically with... Audible, uh, that's how Audible got a lot of their (laughs) advertising out there right away was through podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's It's a very specific kind of company I think that can benefit. These aren't necessarily branding messages. They're, they're in many ways, I think, environments in which the host is able to educate the audience about a new service. And, I, and so really, you know, what is the advantage of the smaller viewer base is that specificity. And so the way in which, a, and I, I think there may be some parallel here to the way Google's AdWords has worked and the way in which perhaps this opens up an opportunity for small retailers to reach very specific audiences because the the cost of the buy would be low and you're targeting really exactly who you want to reach. Let's talk about how we mentioned earlier in the show how podcasts are quantified, but it's not necessarily easy to quantify the audience of a podcast. Right. There's no equivalent to Nielsen at this point. As I said, downloading is the only real number that we have, but that's not correlated clearly with how many actually listen to those downloads. What is the advantage of a podcast is that there are more metrics available, things like engagement, you can examine how discoverability, but I think it it will be a while before, and we're seeing this just even in the the online video space, a whole lot of controversy and uncertainty. You know, in the video space, it's, you know, what counts as a view? Is it one second? Is it a full episode? Do you know what YouTube, like if a YouTube view counts as, is that just a video start? It's with YouTube, it's uh, from actually the New York Times article I read this morning. They've somewhat divined that it's about 30 seconds there, okay. um, which is, though, entirely different than what Facebook uses. And apparently Facebook wasn't sure what they were using. Um, <laughs> and as opposed to on Instagram. And, and so what's important is the way in which all these numbers then are getting thrown around as though everybody's measuring the same thing. Which they're not. Exactly. So it, it being able to compare podcast listeners uh, to even radio listeners is, is something that we're still far off from. And the thing with our podcast is we can only count RSS hits. So let's say you stream our podcast via our website, or you download it or stream it via the podcast app, that's an RSS hit. So that's what we can count. Right. A lot of this lack of transparency probably comes from Apple not providing data on podcast downloads and listens. 
Right, and that's that's an interesting point in the developing market is the way in which Apple is in the middle of this and yet not. So at this point, Apple is responsible for 60% of downloads, um, but they're not gathering a lot of data. And, and so the question well, is... Well, they're not okay, releasing sharing, yes. a lot of data. Right. I would argue that they definitely have it, and they have it somewhere. It's just a matter of they're not giving it to anybody. And, and I think that is part of the, the big questions about what happens next if a podcast industry, so to speak, is going to develop. What does that look like? Is there a distribution business here? Does it make sense? Is there a good business model around aggregation of podcasts? And there are a lot of things happening, And but I'd have to have, I have a lot of questions about why that might be a good strategy, which subtly says, I don't think it is. Uh, so one uh, strategy that some companies are building their podcast strategy around is this notion of aggregation. So That's a podcast a, network. Right. Or, so Audible's doing this, this idea that there's one place to go and there's tons and tons of podcasts. And, and you have to pay the fee to access this place with the podcast. Right. right. So that's an alternative to the advertising model is a subscription model. So right. think of it kind of like something like Netflix for podcasts. And I guess at this point, my question mark is how big of a market is there of people who are listening to that many podcasts that it makes that that kind of a model makes sense. And it would be interesting to get more data on if you're a podcast listener, how many podcasts do you listen to and how do they correlate? Mm -hmm. Because if you listen to our podcasts, what else do you listen to? Do you listen to the spinoff? Do you listen to This American Life? Do you listen to Serial? And like, how would you be able to kind of aggregate smaller and larger podcasts together where you can have something like Netflix where you have huge selling points, like you have huge totem poles of content, and then you have little smaller things that are kind of intersprinkled throughout that you then try to sell to the subscribers who are watching the bigger things. Mm -hmm. Part of what has worked so well for Netflix in terms of the library is that diversity of content. And I think I'm, I'm just a little more skeptical about whether that's the right move for audio. And, and, and again, to connect back to blogs and the low cost of production, I wonder whether it makes more sense to build audiences, you know, very small subscriptions for particular pieces of content, yeah. as opposed to this notion of value being derived from having a library of content. And I look at something like crowdfunding as a way to kind of get around that. I know MuggleCast and other podcasts in the Hypable, it's not really a network in the sense that Audible is, but Hypable produces a lot of podcasts, a lot of fan podcasts. So what they do is they use a site called Patron, where you pay a certain amount of money per month, and then the podcast gives you benefits. Like MuggleCast gives you the ability to view the document that they use to record or influence what's in the episode or get to talk to the hosts and be on air depending on how much you pay per month. So we should start charging people when they send letters to the listener mailbag, huh? I, if you want to get on the air, send, send $5 to Amanda Lotz, care of Northcliffe. There we go. So the question of whether or not there really is an aggregation business, I'm not sure. What do you think? Are, are podcasts really the next big thing? I would say that they're not necessarily the next big thing, but they are a thing. I, I agree very much that this is a, a marketplace that didn't exist, that digital distribution and production technologies has enabled to exist. But in terms of coming in and replacing anything, uh, I, I, I've got to say I'm skeptical there. Well, they're just going to be a thing on their own. Like, it's, 
it's not like, you know, when TV came in, they're saying, oh, radio's gonna die, or when streaming came in, oh, TV's, TV's gonna, gonna die. die. It's like, podcasts, we could, you could make the argument that they're gonna kill radio, but That argument's no, been made many times but as well. the but trend hasn't popped up exactly. yet. Exactly. I mean, so certainly, will money follow the emergence of all these podcasts, and if there is an audience that can be monetized, someone's going to figure out of how course. to do that. Uh, but I think the idea that this isn't necessarily taking away from any other industry, or it may take away in surprising ways. You know, going back to what you were just saying, you know, the expectation of television being killed by internet video. Well, that really actually hasn't happened because internet video has been largely based in something like subscription in the case of Netflix. And a lot of the money that's moved into digital video came out of other budgets, not out of television. And right. so I don't know that we can necessarily predict where the money will come from to support podcasts, but yeah, it doesn't look... It could look... be advertisers, it could be crowdfunding, it right. could be anything. One of the more provocative questions that, that the set of articles raised was the question of whether or not money would ruin podcasts. And I, I think that's an interesting... I mean, will will money of... ruin podcasts? Will money ruin politics? <laughs> I mean... Yes, it could... has. Uh, and so, you know, to what degree do we have this current podcast space somewhat because so much of it is devoid of an attempt to commercialize? You know, how do podcasts change when podcast hosts are, you know, utterly concerned about maintaining their their audience base. It's not like um, we're going to have our what we're watching this week at the end of the show brought to you by Taco Bell or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Although, if, if, if again, if anyone would like to sponsor what we're watching, we could, we could make that happen. I, mean, I think podcasts are right now an effective ad platform because they're so different from so much other advertising. One, as I noted earlier, they're embedded in a way that they're hard to skip past. They're not so well, annoying that you want to skip past. it depends on how, how much you want to skip them. Um, I've been known to occasionally, or more than occasionally, hit that little 15-second forward button uh, in, the, in the podcast app just to skip the ad. Yeah, I think it comes down to what you're doing. I usually have my hands in the middle of something. Right, so or, you know, time, if, if you're driving, I'm not going to skip, right. like, The commercial's over, right, Yeah. Right. Um, and again, because they're fairly nicely contained and it's just, but how many other media can we look at that started exactly that way? A nice mm -hmm. little contained advertising message. And then 50 years later, you have 18 minute ad load per hour in, in, in television. So, <laughs> or you have, uh, listening to the Yankee game, you know, painting the cor hitting the corner of the plate has a sponsorship. Of course. And one of the things that I think has has great potential for audio is is this expanding market for voice activated technology. Is one of the things it takes me a long time to dig through my phone and find the podcast that I mm -hmm. want. Um, and so, as more and more technology that I can just talk to, you know, hey, Siri, Siri or whoever, Alexa, uh, play Media Business Matters. That, too, aids the convenience of search, I guess, in this case. So voice-activated technology. I, and it's interesting how kind of something like Alexa is becoming so prominent now because you're able to just tell it to do something and it does it. You know, Alexa, turn the volume down. It's easier than walking over and turning the volume down. And so I think this comes back to the quantity of content that we have as well. And, and I, I proclaim my love for my Comcast voice-activated remote because it has solved that same problem mm -hmm. in the video space where there's so much content and there are certainly 
different ways to intuitively organize content. Um, and right. the fastest way is to simply say what it is that I want. And so when you know what you want, um, those sort of voice activated search functions are really helpful. And the, that technology is only going to get better as time goes on and they make improvements to how it hears your voice. And someday I'll just have to think it. Now, but going from here, what strategies do you think we're going to see from the podcast industry? Well, according to, to Doctor's article, uh, the, the big three areas of focus are aggregation, which we talked about a little bit, and I noted I'm a bit skeptical about, branding, and by branding, it's sort of this idea that, much like cable branding, and so you go to a particular podcast distributor um, because they consistently speak to your brand. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm just, I feel like the market, what is valuable about the market is, is its narrowness. And, and so I'm questioning whether, you know, I, I, only, I will only listen to Audible podcasts. Or I, I will don't only see listen that. to Gimlet or I will only listen to NPR. You're going to listen to the things that you're interested in, no, no matter, matter where, where they, they come exactly. from. Although visibility, it, that helps with visibility. Certainly, like, and sampling and yeah. trying new things and, and hearing about something new in this environment of 300,000 podcasts. Uh, and then the other strategy is focusing on maintaining quality. So think mm -hmm. about it as being the HBO of podcasts, right? And so what quality means for everyone is going to be a little bit different, but there's certainly... Even though we're doing this on a shoestring, it would be better if we had, you know, greater production. If we had a real studio. Sure, and if we paid someone to edit it extensively. And so to what extent does kind of crafting podcasts become more important than just the nature of the content in them? And you, when you put this on your rundown, you mentioned Gimlet. What they're doing is they're building an infrastructure for production, and NPR already has built an infrastructure for production. So every show has a producer every show has you know a technical person so there's kind of that element of specialized skills in podcasting that you might probably going to see popping up as le these larger companies do so it's certainly an interesting time for podcasts and uh, perhaps there will be more of a podcast industry in the future um, it's always exciting when a new form of media kind of emerges yeah so I think it's time, though, for what are we watching this week? Alex, what are you watching? Well, it's premiere season, so I am watching a bunch of new shows. I'm not sampling as much as I normally would just because of time, but there are a handful of shows that I've kind of picked up and I really enjoy. But right now I wanted to highlight a few of them. I wanted to talk about This Is Us. I reviewed that for the Michigan Daily, and I actually wrote about it in a column that published, as we're recording this, it published today. But it's, a, it's a, just a really nice show. And it reminds me a lot of Parenthood. And so far, the warning signs aren't there that it's going to drop off. And there's also The Good Place with Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, which I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a really fun show. That cast is great. It's from the Parks and Rec creator. So there's a lot of, I have a lot of faith that that can actually become something special. They're kind of building out this world around like what heaven means in that world, what it means to go to heaven, what it means... You know, to be a bad person who gets sent to heaven accidentally, so you have to pretend to be good in order to not get caught that you're a bad person who got sent to heaven. And there's also shows like Designated Survivor, Kiefer Sutherland's big return to television that's kind of more of like this pulse-breaking thriller, um, which I found to be really interesting. Like the idea of having to rebuild a country when literally everyone in government besides you is dead. The pres president, vice president, congress, supreme court all gone. And you are the one who has to rebuild the country. 
how would we rebuild the country if we could at this point? That's an, that is an interesting conceit. And I think the show's tackling it really well. And the last one I wanted to highlight is Pitch, Fox's new drama about the first female Major League Baseball pitcher. And the lead actress on that show is just doing a wonderful job. She's crafting such a fully formed character. And they really do a good job of showing what it would be like to be her in that world. Like, all the pressure she's under to be good if you're the first at something. All the pressure you have to be successful at it. It's a lot of really cool things. And we've got a couple of hits out of premiere season and pitch, you know. It's not... Its numbers aren't big, but it's growing from its lead in Rosewood, which is pretty much barely drawing a pulse on Fox Thursdays now. And, you know, that's kind of silver lining. Its numbers are still bad, but... Yeah, Yeah, I've sampled some of those. I haven't decided what, if any, will make it into into my very long viewing queue. Uh, If it's any indication of how long my viewing queue is, uh, what I've been watching this week, uh, Horace and Pete... Damn. Um, which, I, yes, didn't I Didn't you mention that earlier? I down, when, when I downloaded it when it was first available, okay. which was probably in spring. Yeah. Um, and I watched the first episode or so then, but it's taken this long to get back to it. And mm-hmm. it's it's hard to describe. Um, <laughs> that it's just, it's, it's not like any other television, but really a rich experience. And I, I really appreciate that there is an opportunity for the creation of something so different in this environment. Working through Horace and Pete now, and also Halt and Catch Fire. I need to catch up on Halt and Catch Fire. I ha- it's been a, it's a particularly good season. The way in which it managed to reinvent itself, sort of shift its focus a little bit. Now we're coming into the last episodes of the season, and, and maybe we're in some ways going back to form, but I, I, I really do enjoy it on, on a number of levels. Um, the, the history bit, the yeah. business bit, the, the gender politics. Um, it's, it's, I, it's one of those, I think, underrated shows. Having done work in the tech industry, it just seems like it would be something that would be really interesting to kind of watch and view the history of how this industry grew in, in, sim- in kind of a parallel to how Silicon Valley is really interesting to see where this industry is. Where it is. ends up, right. And exactly. it, let me tell you, surprisingly accurate. <laughs> So I've heard. Well, that's it for this edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to find more of Media Business Matters, including a lot of back episodes, this is episode 16, so our 15 back episodes are available either by searching for Media Business Matters in iTunes or by going to amandalots.com and clicking on the Media Business Matters link at the top of the page. Amanda, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Dr. TV Lots, that's D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z, and you can also reach the show at drtvlots at gmail.com. Give us a call, or write us... <laughs> Give us a call us at drtvlots at gmail.com. Right, no. Send us a note if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, or you have a question that we can use in our listener mailbag episodes. Which we will be... Returning We're to that very to. soon. Yeah, yeah we, we it's been a while since we've done one. And you can find me on Twitter at Alex Intner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you very much for listening. For Amanda Lotz, I'm Alex Intner, and we'll be back soon.